When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters. Mark Lepresti, managing director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Mascioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, B3 Nation, to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces. As those of you who listen know, we do this Tuesday and Thursday at 5.30 Eastern with a special weekend edition on Sunday, also at 5.30. I'm going to ask you all to follow us at GetRevRadio. Those follows matter. And please tweet out the space. Let others share in the good news that we are bringing. We're like, we're like the Bible of finance here, bringing you good news. And we got a lot going on today. John, Alex, Mark, all with me. Uh, Nick from Trade the Chain will also be there. I'm going to give you a heads up now. You're not going to want to leave in an hour. You're going to want to stay for the Beyond B3 show. We've got some amazing topics and speakers coming up there. Uh, we've got a big show in general. We've got earnings season officially kicking off. Mark will refer to it. It's like he's got his, it's like another Christmas for, for Mark and Presti. And we've got some huge crypto news with the former CEO, um, Alex Mashinsky of Celsius, uh, getting indicted and good news for Ripple. So a lot to talk about. We're happy to have you all with us. And it's always good to be with you guys, Mark, John, and Alex. And Mark, we've got a new segment, right? we got a small camp spotlight segment you're going to tell us about. We, we do, Rob, but actually we didn't get uh, all of our ducks in a row to launch the small cap spotlight today. So folks are going to have to wait until Sunday for that, which is going to be a very interesting segment where a sponsor – that is a up and coming uh, small cap company that we have decided to get interested in uh, presents their technology. So today's sponsor, we're going to continue with the Verijet private jet ride and giveaway. And producer Patrick, if you want to go ahead when you have a chance and pin that link to the landing page for a Verijet and for the private jet giveaway, Verijet, of course, is the number one and only leading low-cost, low-emission private jet short-haul solution that flies exclusively the Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet. This is not a propeller plane. This is a jet plane that has two incredible proprietary safety systems. One is a big red button in the middle of the cabin that if something should happen to your pilot, the passengers can press this button and an artificial intelligence powered supercomputer lands the plane at the nearest airport. The other, and perhaps better-known safety feature of the Cirrus SF-50 Vision Jet operated by Verijet 
is the parachute. This is a parachute not for the passengers, but for the plane itself. It's got 100% success rate in the times that it has been deployed. And we are very proud to be working with this company. And we are, as I've said before, Rob, I believe the only Twitter Spaces podcast, the only folks I know in general that are giving away a chance for a free ride on a private plane. Talk about some Instagrammable moments. So go ahead, check out, exactly. check out that link in the crow's nest. You have to share your worst travel experience. You don't just put in your email. You got to actually say, tell us something that happened horribly. I guarantee you that it was probably on a domestic low-cost airline carrier or an ultra-low, uh, a ULOC, as it's called in the aviation industry, an ultra Oh, you mean, carrier. Mark, you mean like America? No. Oh, like well, American? listen, um, no. Because that's where all my stories are going to come. We from. certainly, and Rob, you're not eligible to participate in the contest because you are a uh, associated person of Revolution Radio and Revolution Media Group, the parent company of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. But so, yeah, Baron Jet, win a chance. Smash that link, share your worst travel story, and we will see you in the sky. Great giveaway. It is a great giveaway. And I know I can't compete. I can still submit my horrid travel horror yes. stories. What a great opportunity, though, for everyone out there to get on on a plane and gotta say mark you know just on Verajet, you talk about that button remember a couple weeks ago that plane that that private plane that crashed because something happened to the pilot and they sent up an air yes got to, to to like fly next yep. to it that's an example where that plane probably would have gotten home yeah that guy's daughter and his granddaughter would have landed safe. yeah and uh, that's a very very tragic story uh unfortunately uh rob you know one of the things that are are CEO and co-founder of Verajet, Richard Kane, who's a highly accomplished multi-thousand-hour pilot, is also tapped by the NTSB uh, in some of these matters um, to help understand what went wrong. And that's, that is a very unfortunate situation uh, where the, the, the pilot uh, suffered some uh, type of medical emergency, cardiac arrest, or what have you. Um, and, uh, those, uh, it's believed now that those poor folks basically, um, rode around on this thing until it ran out of gas, uh, knowing that they were doomed really, really horrible story. And, th wow. and that, and that is something that the Sirius S 50 vision gen 100% would have prevented. They could have pressed that red button and, and landed. It's, it's really, a, it's really a game changer in aviation. Yep. Yep. Verajet, Verajet sponsoring us today. Well, speaking of cardiac arrest, Mark, how is the market doing? We've got you. You're happy right now. The CPI news is good news in in your eyes, right? Yeah. Uh, where, where, where are we in the markets? Are, are we are we staying strong? Are we going bull? Are we going? No, the bull. Listen, the bulls are really remaining firmly in charge this week. This is uh, the fourth positive day in a row as we got more inflation relevant data with the PPI, which we're going to break down. Of course, the CPI having come out uh, yesterday, um, and the day after we covered the Mannheim Index, which is the used car price component of the CPI. We'll talk about some of that as well. But the markets and investors continuing to applaud this soft or softer than expected inflation data for a fourth day in a row. Stocks ending in the green. The S&P climbed 0.85% to 45.10. The Dow added 47.71 points or 0.15% to close at 34.395 spot 14. And the NASDAQ technology heavy index advanced 1.58% to end the day at 14,138 spot 57. Uh, some pretty good uh, tech uh, gains, Palo Alto Networks, Alphabet, the parent of Meta. And we're going to talk about what's going on there with the AI news that they announced. 
continued, of course, uh, talk of the uh, unbelievable rate of subscriptions for Threads, um, which uh, I have my own opinions on. Uh, but yes, that, that June PPI, the producer price index, coming in even less hot than expected. Still up, by the way. Something I, I always try to point out so people understand. It's not that it, inflation has stopped. It's not that we are now in disinflation. It's not that these numbers are going down. They're still going up. They're just not going up as quickly as they were previously. So we're starting to see what we refer to as disinflationary impact. Is it good news? Yes, it is. But it's still not enough to bring J-Pow to that magic 2% number that he's looking for. Market still looking for 25 basis points in July. August, of course, the Fed takes off for the summer. I'd wish that they would extend it for two months this year. Perhaps we can submit a petition. And, of course, what everybody wants to know now is what happens in September. So uh, what happens in September, That after the summer of June? That's right. Mark, look, Mark you want to be here on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain to find out from Mark first what is going to happen in September because we're going to tell you before September. Dr. J, John Nigerian. Before you give us the fantastic futures, just a quick thought on when Mark's talking about, you know, we've talked about when bad news isn't as bad as you might expect it to be. You know, like the numbers are still going up, but they're better than the bad case. Then the market loves that and acts like it's good news. Yep, that's exactly right, Rob. And uh, that's why, you know, uh, despite the fact that sometimes a number seems bad, like, for instance, if we're not creating as many jobs and so forth, the job creation slows down. The Fed looks at that and says, wow, uh, jobs are slowing. That means people are uh, going to hunker down a little bit and uh, not spend as much. That's the way the Fed looks at it. Um, up until now, they have still spent at a pretty robust pace. Um, like you just said with Mark, uh, the, the numbers are still higher, but they're not as high as uh, some of the estimates. And so we're seeing exactly what you'd expect, Rob. When the market gets that, we're seeing a, a, a pretty nice uh, continuation rally uh, that has carried us, uh, you know, climbing that wall of worry that we always talk about. The wall of worry. We got a lot of great metaphors going on in this show today. The what? wall of worry, the hill of death, all of that stuff. <laughs> we'll have to ask Alex about the hill of death. The hill of death, Alex. You're, you, when John's done with Fantastic Futures, be ready for the hill of death question. John, when he what, talks about the hill of death, I don't. I, that's when I just stay home. He's a mad man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great answer. John, what, what do you got for us in futures today? What's the fantastic futures looking like? Well, um, today, Rob, I was focused uh, on the soybean contract because soybeans were up almost 3% today. Um, they're up 14% in the past month. So again, these aren't those 2% numbers that Mark and the Fed are looking for as far as inflation. These are significantly higher than that. Um, and we're going to keep our eye on all of these things that go into either animals, which, of course, many of us eat either a product of the animal, like butter and milk, or uh, whether they're used as feed for the animals that then they bring in um, for meats and chicken and so forth. Um, so I think overall it's not out of control where the soybeans are right now, Rob, but they're certainly uh, something that 
if they wanted to cite a reason for uh, staying uh, vigilant, as they like to say, these kinds of numbers are exactly that, uh, where you've got inputs for food going higher because people can cut back on buying a used car or cut back uh, on moving across the country to a different location, but they can't cut back on food. And so that's a pretty important input right there. And that's why we think uh, that, just like Mark said, we still are over 90%, I think over 93% chance that July 26th, the Fed is still going to move a quarter point on interest rates. Everybody's in on that same philosophy, John. Right now, we have nobody thinking they're not going to. But I'm guessing, as we've said before, the market is pretty much expecting that, right? Mark's talked about that, that the market's expecting some kind of a rate hike. So they're, again, they've already adjusted for that, right? They're going, we're going to expect that. So we, we bake that in. Yep, that's exactly right. And if I couldn't, before we go over to uh, Alex, I'd like to throw out one that was pretty interesting today because it was Viasat. Um, Viasat, as the name sort of implies, is the satellite company. And these guys were down 30% pretty much across the board today. It finished down 28.5%. But basically, they had an unexpected uh, deployment event. That's that's the the best way they could say, Rob, that when they launched a satellite and put it up there, they expect that satellite to then um, deploy and basically offer connectivity um, to various parts of the planet. This one uh, did not, uh, and for that reason, they say it will materially impact the performance of their. Uh, Viasat 3 America satellite, and that's not good. That's why the stock hit a new 52-week low today, VSAT. And at one point, it was down over 40%. So I guess um, good news being bad news or bad news being good news, you could look at it and say, well, 28.5% drop is better than 40% drop. But that's what they were staring down the barrel of this morning, Rob. Interesting. And also, John, I, I noticed the note here about um, TTD, about uh, about the trade desk. Do you want to talk a minute about that? What, sure. What's going on with that? And if, what, it's going to be part of the NASDAQ index now? I'm not sure if I understand what's happening, but you're going to let us know. Okay. Um, thank you, Rob. The, uh, the trade desk, or TTD, um, is a stock that basically is a cloud-based application that lets people, um, companies, of course, primarily, buy advertising. So instead of just the upfronts, which are, you know, for the networks to sell various uh, uh, shows to the uh, populace and to the sponsors, um, this is something that allows people to go in there and see how much without going through their ad agency necessarily. So it's separating a middleman. It's doing exactly what uh, the internet has done so well for so long, and that is reducing a cost, but that does come at a cost. The cost being, of course, perhaps some of those jobs in the ad space. But it was up today. It's gonna be included in the NASDAQ 100, which is a big bullish thing. That's the 17th. They're gonna replace Activision Blizzard ATVI. And uh, I'd point out to the listeners that this stock, TTD, is up 100% on the year. If you had $10,000 in the stock at the beginning of the year, you've got 20,000 bucks 
uh, now because of the move the stock has made. That is a phenomenal move. Um, and it isn't just because they're the hot thing of the moment as far as, oh, we're using AI to make better drugs or to make better decisions for our drivers or whatever it is. Instead, this is just um, good old-fashioned advertising, and they've found a way to really push this out. One more quick one, Rob, and that is plug power. Um, for a while, long while, my buddy Mark was big in the uh, hydrogen uh, part of the economy, um, and plug power is a global leader in hydrogen solutions. And obviously, Toyota, I think, is one of the few places where they're using um, hydrogen instead of uh, lithium-ion batteries. They're still doing lithium-ion batteries, but they're really trying to go green with the hydrogen as a, a way to move automobiles and trucks. And Plug was up 11% today. Um, they basically secured an order for a big 100-megawatt uh, proton exchange. That's the biggest project in the oil and gas sector in Europe um, this year, if not ever. So that's a big deal for PLUG. And that's why that stock was up double digits today. And is that a big deal in general for, for the, you know, the green economy, hydrogen type solutions? I mean, is that an indicator of like more to come? If you were looking at a sector or the energy sector, would you be going, this is a sign? Absolutely. Um, plug, uh, this is one of those uh, areas where, you know, to create a lithium-ion battery, I won't belabor it, but basically you're talking about the Congo, China, Afghanistan. You know, you've got to get nickel, um, vandium, uh, lithium, uh, and all of these somewhat rare elements um, come from either dangerous places, uh, are harvested by people in some cases that are slaves, and hydrogen isn't one of those, uh, doesn't have that dirty tinge to it. So I think all the more, Rob, people will focus in on hydrogen. I'm not saying it passes lithium-ion batteries, uh, but I think it is one of the alternatives that people will consider more going forward. You're hearing it here on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Please follow us at Get Rev Radio. We do this every Tuesday, every Thursday with a weekend edition on Sunday, 5.30 Eastern time for all three. Tweet out the space. Please do follow us. Follow all our great speakers. We're not giving you investment advice, but we are giving you great things to think about as you make these decisions. And hey, Ron. Yes, I Mark. I see Mark with his hand up, patiently oh. waiting in the back of the oh, classroom. Right. All right, all right, Mark. I'm sorry, I didn't see you in the back of the class. You're usually in the front of the class. What do you got to say, Mark? No, it's no problem at all. And and thank you, uh, Alex, for noticing that. Uh, it, it, I did have a question for John about TTD, the trade desk. I, I I do I like the company. I like the technology. This is one of those more mature companies in the space that I think can be really and is uh, really a game changer for the creator economy, right? Because folks can actually have, without hiring marketing strategists to the sales team and all of this, folks can put their content up on the trade desk marketplaces and have advertisers essentially bid to put there and place their ads on that content um and it's it, you know by the demographic and and what the uh sh the creators the shows are about so um i like the company but 
you know, I was covering this a little bit with your brother Pete on the Rebel's Edge, our sister show earlier today that I had the pleasure of doing with Pete. And he told me that this thing is trading for between a three and a five hundred X. Is that correct? And, and if so, would you go near a stock that's trading three to five hundred X with a, with a 10 foot pole? Well, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and, Look the honesty. <laughs> uh, it, it's 543 PE, by the way. Oh, that, that 500. And what's, what's, 100, what's 143 among friends, John? Come on. But I would say this, Mark. Um, I am not in the stock right now. I have been in the stock. Um, as I said, it's up 100% year to date. And I think that there are probably um, better places for people that are in this one and have, I cheer you for being in it, folks. But I think taking at least half off on a 100% return and then diversifying is not a bad way to play it. Interesting. Good analysis. Good question, Mark. Hey, Mark, I do have to ask you, were you the kid in the front of the class or the back of the class in school? Um, that's a good question, Rob. I don't, I don't know that I was in the front of the class, but I don't know that I was necessarily in the back either. Uh, John, was, and I think John was in the back. I was definitely in the back. <laughs> John was in the back throwing things to open the front. <laughs> but I don't really remember that. I don't remember it that well. It's just too long ago, I suppose. <laughs> All right. I was just late for class. Alex Rassioli, feel free to weigh in on where you sat in class. Um, but we got some ex a good day in crypto. Yeah, well, uh, I sat in the back of the class because usually I uh, tried to date the smartest girl in the room so I could pass. Um, but that being said, uh, it was a cool 30 years ago. Um, yeah, crypto is, is, I mean, I don't even know where to start, to be honest with you, Rob. Uh, if if Viasat was a crypto, it would have been up today. I feel bad. But we kind of our own unexpected expected deployment event uh today and and most people will know that as the sec event that came out but um money was made by the longs on that breaking news that uh deployment event which was uh the ripple La ripple labs winning a major part of their case brought on by the sec and let me tell you something this has been since december of 2020 i know we're going to get to it later on and i know i'm going to have to uh Go sparring with uh, Mr. Lepresti on this, the, our uh, you know admirable securities former securities attorney. But that's okay because it's an exciting day. Um, but the news did send the overall markets upwards, uh, following XRP surging over eighty percent to eighty-eight cents. Uh, we saw a lot of profit takers late this afternoon, um, but right now prices are turning around back to the upside. So we're going to see what's happening. It's running across the board. Uh, but green for the rest uh, of the time frames. Um, some of the big winners include Stellar, uh, Ticker, XLM, up 60%. Cardano, Ticker ADA, up 20%. Polygon, Ticker Matic, up 18%. And Solana, uh, Ticker SOL, uh, up 16%. So overall, crypto market cap rose 5.2% to 1.24 really in this rally with $56 billion in trading volume uh, and 44% more in crypto tweet volume than average on the tradethechain.com dashboard. So a lot of people tweeting about what's going on. Um, I did see a tweet from Gary Gettick. Uh, astonishingly, it didn't have to crypto. It was some 
visions with the 40 act fund and the rules surrounding that. Um, a lot of people made fun of him in his con in his in the comments there. Uh, Bitcoin gaining 2.9% on 22.6 billion in volume up 48% uh, versus average on that volume uh, uh, number. Price went up to a new 52 week high and is now at 31.270. Ethereum went up uh, over 2,000, which is a magical visual number for a lot of retail investors at this point, and is now up 6%. Uh, settling down from that 2K plus to 1980, but volume up 57% versus average on the day with 10.6 billion trading hands. All in all, a good day for the longs, a lot of money uh, made, um, but we are cautioning uh, to be wary of a local top forming as the hysteria pulls off. I know that Nick will have more on that from our trading desk, uh, but yeah, busy day. Yeah, and, and by the way, we are going to get into the XRP, uh, Ripple's token, the, the and we unlike Zuckerberg and Musk, we're not doing it in a cage match, but Mark and Alex are going to have some fun. You're going to want to be in on that conversation, everybody, as they, you know, the, the federal court ruling that XRP is not necessarily a security. We'll get to that in the crypto part of the show. Nick Mancini from the research deck at tra desk at Trade the Chain. We almost need like a sound effect for you coming in. Bitcoin is over 31. The ch Mr. Chartmaster, what does this tell us? Today, I am euphoric. Uh, it has been a fantastic day on the trading desk. And uh, before I get into price, just as an additional kind of data point on top of what Alex said, uh, tweets are up about 50% today. Tweets are up 40% uh, yesterday and uh, several percentage points higher earlier in the week. So we're up, you know, around, you know, 100 to 150% tweet volume compared to rolling 30-day average. And that's before uh, that was increasing before the XRP lawsuit hit so if you're if you're thinking that you know a lot of people chattering about crypto is a good thing then you know we are we are certainly here for you um so looking at price action you know above 31k amazing but remember we did have those highs at 31.5 from back in early july uh and we have closed outside of the 31k range on the daily candles before actually on monday july 3rd before we were rejected back down on july 4th so i I am not trusting a daily close beneath 31.1K. And what I would really like to see is a daily close above 31.5K. And just so everybody is aware, the daily candle closes in two hours and three minutes. So those are kind of my lines in the sand for continued bullishness. If I do not get them, I will not trade it. Um, but, you know, if we do close above 31.1 or even in the best case scenario, 31.5, there is certainly a case to make that we head up to 32.4 in the near term, potentially 33. Now, in, in, in the, you know, the bearish scenario, just so everyone's aware, just in case we're eyeing that 30K level or 29.8K to be exact for supports, provided we do drop back down into the range. Awesome. Awesome take on all of that. Keep your eye on it in two hours. And of course, you know, when, when we when we come back on Sunday, we'll, we'll see where it's at. But good insights, Nick. And obviously, you're going to weigh in uh, in the crypto block when we uh, we call them blocks, everybody, sometimes. I don't know where it came from. But our, our segment where we talk about crypto later in the show, because we, we've got a lot going on with Alex Mashinsky and with Ripple. Um, you are listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. That's why we do all of it from TradFi to DeFi to Web3 to crypto. It's all in it. 
Um, and we do it every Tuesday and every Thursday at 5.30 Eastern time and Sunday at 5.30, a weekend edition. Please follow us at Get Rev Radio. Please follow all the speakers and do stay around for Beyond B3 or B3 After Dark, as we sometimes call it. It's a follow-up show for an hour where you guys listening can be part of it. We have a kind of an extended conversation and John, Mark, and Alex usually stick on for a while as well. So you, you get a little a little more of them. Um, Mark, let's talk about earnings, right? The earnings season is official. I call it it's, it's your one of your Christmases. Earnings seasons come out. We've already seen some 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 big names like Delta reporting, um, but big bang numbers are coming, and that's got everybody focused on you know looking at their computer screens or their phones, um, questioning the the big question. You know where what what are you putting out? The Mark Lepresti sentiment for the earnings season and your take on, you know, is inflation. And we talked a little earlier about inflation, you know, and, and it, we're not out of it. We're not in disinflation, but is inflation going to finally knock sales down or are people just going to keep, keep spending? Yeah. Well, Rob, you know, of course we're, we're talking about uh, what went on during the second quarter, right behind us as, as earnings often do. Um, so what we're going to be looking to see is whether or not, the impact of inflation and where wages were. We were still at a far more wage stagflationary period in the second quarter than we were coming out of the second quarter and into the third quarter, I believe, actually, just around the time. And I can go back and look at my my notes from prior shows, but I believe we turned the corner with wage stagflation. That is the point at which wage growth keeps up with inflation, just as we were getting into Q3. So I, I don't think that benefit is going to be reflected at all in Q3, uh, excuse me, in Q2 uh, earnings numbers. And and look, you know, I said this about the Q1 numbers that so much of the reason why a lot of companies were able to meet or beat expectations was because the CEOs had learned their lesson in prior quarters since we started this in this interest rate craziness trying to fight inflation a year, year and change ago now, that if you came in with conservative guidance, you came in with conservative estimates, it would become easier to beat that, right? So you have somebody's expectations low to begin with, it's easier to beat those expectations. And then, of course, the analysts did what analysts tend to do, which is follow the herd and actually lower their estimates, make revisions, as they're called, on the street. And then at the end of the day, when the earnings come out, the, you know, the street kind of says, well, you know, it could have been worse. And then the stocks go up. I think, as does, and I believe it was one of the uh, uh, folks over at Morgan Stanley uh, that actually indicated that he does not think that this like lowering guidance and reducing expectations is actually going to distract people from the fact that consumer discretionary spending has got to slow down. Uh, it's not going to improve going into the second and the third quarter. The guidance that we're going to get from second quarter earnings announcements about the third quarter are not going to be good. I mean, look, we've got some folks saying that this is going to be the worst earnings season in years, the worst quarter for earnings in years. Collective profits, as announced by Refinitiv, but I have to disclose one of the investors in our data company, Battlefin, that I co-founded. The folks over at Refinitiv are anticipating that S&P 500 company profits are expected to fall a collective 6.4% 
from the same period a year ago to a share average weighted $440 billion. Um, and that's pretty significant, right? Uh, revenue also in that same study is estimated to fall around uh, 1%. Now, some companies like Delta today that reported another ridiculous blowout quarter, unbelievable, congrats to Ed Bastian and the team there. But a lot of that is actually tied to redu reduced energy costs, particularly as it relates to companies like Delta and the airlines, where that's such a component of their overall, you know, their COGS, their cost of goods sold. And they enjoyed a reduction in energy costs of almost 23 or so percent, if I remember correctly. But I think that that is going to be backed out of a lot of this as traders dig through and pour through the results of these earnings. So I think we could be in for a choppy earnings season is the short version. So, John, you know, Mark, Mark said before, you know, people keep spending. <laughs> when do they run out of fuel? So Mark's saying, look, eventually, a lot of people are expecting they can't keep spending. But my question would be, the contrarian question, can they? I mean, no one expected them to spend this much already. Can they just keep spending? Well, um, they have and they can to a certain extent, Rob. Uh, sooner or later, you would expect that some of the folks who have spent probably the most aggressively lately were people that thought that their student loan forgiveness was a done deal. Those people, of course, now are finding that at least for now, it is not a done deal and it will require a lot more jockeying if it ever passes. And thus, could we see that cutback that we've all sort of been not calling for, but expecting um, because we don't want to see people put out of work by um, not as many people going out to restaurants, going out to shows, traveling, all the rest. Uh, but in all likelihood, we will see a softening um, both from that, the uh, student loan forgiveness going away, um, or at least, you know, being put on hold. And uh, I would say that the credit card debt, which is still monumental, you know, and well north of a trillion now um, is going to be another thing that uh, I don't see a lot of alternatives. You know, you've got a firm and you've got some other ways that people now, um, the buy now, pay later companies I'm talking about, that people are using that in lieu of a credit card doesn't uh, accumulate on the same debt. It's still your debt, but it doesn't accumulate against your credit scores, allegedly, and all that. So it might be that people are availing themselves of those, Rob. But other than that, I think we've got to see some pretty, um, maybe not serious, but more cutbacks than we've seen in a long time on the spending side. So Mark, if people do cut back on spending and earnings are if we're in for a choppy earnings season, even accounting for the fact that maybe some people are sort of offering lower expectations so that they exceed them, that's a win. What does that look like to you in the next, if you're putting your crystal ball out, does that mean all of a sudden, you know, we've been talking a lot of bullishness is such is that, you know, and then the Fed does its, let's just say it does two more rate hikes. Does that send us backwards into like a bearish economy again? 
it's I just realized that my mute was on. It, it's not even so much a question of a bearish economy because I, I kind of think we're there, Rob. It's it's a question of what the market does, right? Because that's really what this show is about. And I, I think the market is pricing in a little bit more optimism than I am comfortable attributing at the moment for all the reasons that that John described. Um, and and you know, look, some of the stuff that. When we had our friend Tom Lee on the other day, I, I adore Tom. He's a dear friend. He's absolutely brilliant. And he's often right. But I think, you know, some of the things that he talked about is reasons why there's still gas in the consumer tank. I still can't wrap my head around. Yes, net worth of uh, American consumers is up so significantly across the board. But that's that's largely because of the value of, of, of American homes and, and real estate has been on an absolute unstoppable tear, a, a, a historic unstoppable tear, making this the most unaffordable housing market, I think, in the United States history. That plus the credit card debt. And the, and the problem with the credit card debt, Rob, is how do you get it under control when interest rates are where they are? And let's bear something in mind, folks. Just because the Fed does two more 25 basis point hikes and stops, what does that mean, right? I think, and, and we were talking, um, Pete and I, John, we're talking on, on uh, Rebel's Edge today uh, about where the indicators are in terms of when, at least from the bond market and the credit default swap market, yes, they're start, we're starting to see movement closer in the calendar as to when we might get the first cuts, they're still in Q. They're still in next year. They've gone from Q2 to Q1 by at least one uh, view of the of the CDS market. Um, but at the end of the day, Rob, we are still going to be looking at high interest rates, certainly on a relative basis, certainly on a temporally relative basis. That's going to make it really hard for po- for folks to pay down that consumer debt, right? And that that's not just credit card. That's car loans on used cars on new cars. I think somebody's got a hot mic, by the way. Um, it's 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 the it's across the board in consumer credit, and you know, yes, uh, we have this um, student loan situation that that could make it worse. I, I happen to think that Biden is is determined to band aid that in every possible way that he can, regardless of what the Supreme Court says, which is the subject probably for our political show that's in the works. Um, but but I I don't I don't like the setup, Rob. I just don't like the setup. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Well, we'll see. Uh, you know, look, Connolly is very convincing, Mark, and I know you're good friends with him, but if you guys that episode, you should go back and listen to it. You can get it on our Twitter spaces. You know, he's been right a lot, and he was pretty insistent in his view that this spending isn't going to stop. He's like, we're, we're, you know, like, we're actually going to keep growing. Yeah, that that's right, and and that prediction and his upward revision for where the S and P is going to end has definitely garnered him his share of controversy. But hey, he loves it. That's why you know he's good at what he does. He likes being challenged. We love having him on the show. So let's talk. Since we're talking about bullish or bearish, um, market breadth is getting wider. So the gains we're experiencing are going over a larger number of stocks. Now, that's typically viewed as a good sign, right? That would be a bullish indicator, right, Mark? Or is that not not the right way to see that? And what does it actually mean that that's happening and happening now? Well, you know, so I, I, I love this. Um, 
then we then we're talking about market breadth because it's another thing that we sometimes take for granted when we when we throw the term around that you know folks sort of just are implied to understand what it means and and I don't think everybody understands what it means. I didn't understand what it meant when I first got into into finance and stocks. Um, and there are uh, differences of opinion as to whether or not um, market breadth weakness is bullish or bearish or market breadth strength is bullish or bearish. So when we talk about the market breadth, we, we're talking about the number of stocks that comprise the majority of the movement in equities, right? And we've talked a lot on this show and others about the fact that the bull market this year, particularly in the last, call it eight or nine weeks, has been led very, very heavily by just a few, seven or so, big-time, ultra-large ultra cap, ultra-cap as they've come to be known, tech names, and folks, you all know who they are. In fact, a lot of what is being done next week with the reshuffling of the NASDAQ 100, which we can also talk about, and, and John is uh, a good person to explain what's going on there, um, lest I steal the entire spotlight, um, is in part intended to address that market breadth issue because many believe that if the if a market rally, particularly a rally, is concentrated in such a small, ultra-high cap number of stocks that it's not a truly in, true indication of a truly healthy market, right? And that it really shouldn't be viewed, and the indices should be viewed more broadly. Now, market breadth, both relative weakness or strength, also moves organically as companies uh, report earnings, as the impact of things like, of course, interest rates and inflation, which we're all tired of talking about. But there's a, quite a large um, body of, of historical evidence, Rob, that indicates that weak market breadth, right? So that indication, like we were talking about, that we've been experiencing a lot this year, market leadership in a small number of very large cap names actually indicates that there is continued bullish um, mark, the bullish market conditions. Um, so I, I, mean, I would love to bring John into the conversation uh, to talk about some of this, if he's willing. And we have to unmute him. <laughs> yeah, we have to unmute me. Um, the, the uh, In fact, Charles Payne and I were talking about this, Mark, because the QQQ is the NASDAQ that the Invesco people um, track, uh, and they are the ones that are going to adjust um, that QQQ calculation because the top five or so stocks really do outrageously, but built as it is, being a market cap issue, um, moves the market substantially in the... Uh, uh, QQQ. Now, the NDX, our friends over at the NASDAQ, which, by the way, we're going to be shooting uh, bulls, bears, and blockchain episodes um, over at the NASDAQ this next week. Um, so thank you, NASDAQ. But that that is the NDX, the NASDAQ 100. So uh, I, I guess it'll depend, Mark, on who, uh, which uh, flavor people prefer the QQQ, which, you know, they say if something ain't broke, don't fix it, um, or the NDX, which is virtually the same index. And the question is, is it kind of like 
new Coke? Um, is it that when they famously came out with the new Coke, um, Pepsi said the other guy blinked? Well, is this going to be Invesco blinking? Maybe. Uh, again, I'm I'm not the guy that's going to say I'm going to pull my money out of Invesco QQQ uh, and just put it into the NDX. But uh, you do have to think that if they change those weightings, Mark, and all of a sudden, instead of being as much as 10 or 12 percent of the index, it only represents 8 percent. Well, that's a lot of uh, Apple or Microsoft or Google that that uh, particular ETF manager is going to have to sell as they lighten up on that particular stock that goes from that 12% weighting, for instance, as an example, folks, down to a 7, 8, 9% weighting. Again, I think these stocks can absorb it. So it's not me saying, oh, this is absolutely something that's going to wreck the market. I don't think that. But I think it could cause people to migrate over to the NDX rather than trading in something that's new because they made it new Coke. It's an interesting way to look at it, though. It's what, it is what happened with New Coke. Pepsi was like, you guys bleak, and then New Coke went away. <laughs> well, you know, Rob, what I, what I realized is it actually didn't deliver the punchline to, to our listeners. Uh, the, but this, the study that I found when I was doing research this morning on what was sort of the best and easiest way to get into this market breath conversation with our listeners was pretty uh, clear in the directionality. And it went back all the way to 1928 and studied market breadth weakness conditions, like the one we had this year, where gains are a very concentrated in a small number of names, and indicated that when market breadth is is strong, uh, the S&P does fairly well, an average of 7.5% on a 12-month forward-looking basis. But when, the, when breadth is... Uh, weak, meaning the leadership is in a narrow group of names, looking forward a year, the S&P on average returned 15.5%. So when, when you factor that in, along with all of the other technical stuff that we bore everybody to death with, as we have been over the past you know few weeks about where we are in uh, a, a presidential term, where, where the market typically does from mid-year to the end through election cycles, how a market performs when it's been as bullishly performing as it has this year, what it looks like on average. Every single one of those technical indicators that we've reviewed thus far indicate a continued bull run. Will it be as bullish as Tom Lee predicts? We shall see. Stick around for Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Tuesday and Thursday on Twitter Spaces at Get Rev Radio with a Sunday edition because we will keep you posted on what we see happening along with our market masters predictions and please tweet out the space follow us and get rev radio and follow everybody who's speaking and stick around in about 15 minutes for the beyond b3 show where we will talk about all of this and more and bring you guys into the conversation um alex a lot of there's good news bad news in crypto um bad news if you're alex mashinsky um who's you know I want to hear your take on this because, you know, I think I asked you earlier on the phone, like, and your your take was he's going to, he's going to jail. So what's the deal? What are they bringing up? What are they charging him with? And he pled not guilty, obviously, but your instinct is that he is not likely to come out well. 
Well, you know, thanks, Rob. To continue the narrative from the previous block, I want to say there's been a breath of good news over this bad news. Nobody's allowed to use that word anymore to the rest of the show. Um, but, but before I get into that, I, I just there was a couple of uh, really uh, some notable highlights today that I did forget to mention in the crypto market. Um, and that is uh, two bits of ETF news. One, Bitwise, a huge asset manager that's 100% crypto native, filed for a spot ETF application today. And also, uh, $4.5 trillion uh, Fidelity uh, filed their second amendment for their spot uh, Bitcoin ETF application today. It is, I would be hard pressed to say that maybe those were filed and refiled in the wake of Poser Gensler getting his butt kicked. Um, but I don't know for sure. Also, XRP, the XRP news we spoke about earlier, it is absolutely ripping, hitting 95 cents while we were talking on Coinbase, settling down now into the low 70s. Um, but that is, uh, a lot of that is predicated, was uh, done on the news of one, Kraken relisted it, on a XRP US, uh, USD pair, as well as Coinbase relisted it. And it's uh, rumored that Gemini will do so soon. So those are two out of three major exchanges in the US where US customers are now allowed to trade it and obviously create more liquidity, more volatility, more price action. So um, I, I apologize for missing that earlier. But uh, yeah, let's go to Alex Mashinsky, Matt. Uh, you know, the news broke today was that Alex Mashinsky, who is the ex-CEO of multi-billion dollar crypto lender Celsius, was sued by not one, not two, but four regulators this morning. The SEC, the DOJ, the CFTC, and the FTC. I mean, it's almost a full alphabet. Um, and that was all right before they came to his house and arrested him. Uh, there are seven criminal charges uh, pending against him, which individually carry from five to 20 years in jail. And I'll go, I'll just list them real quick for people who are catching up with our show. Uh, one, securities fraud carries 20 years. Commodities fraud, 10 years. Fire, uh, wire fraud, 20 years. Conspiracy to commit securities fraud, market manipulation, and wire fraud, five years. Securities fraud, 20 years. Market manipulation, 20 years. And wire fraud. 20 years. So, um, you know, it was interesting. Part of the lawsuit they mentioned, uh, and I quote, Mashinsky represented or misrepresented, among other things, the safety of Celsius's yield generating activities, their profitability, their long the long-term stability of their high rewards rates, and the risk associated with depositing crypto assets into, into Celsius. Now, for all of you that don't maybe quite know, Celsius, multi-billion dollar lender, one of the uh, pioneers when it came to uh, retail lending, um, an important role that's carried out in every market on the traditional side. Uh, you know, it's really a sad day because he could have been legit and he could have really killed it. Um, but he did plead guilty today in New York's federal court. And by the way, I have driven pleading guilty. He is completely unrecognizable um and and I hey, that was, he pled not yeah, guilty right Pled not guilty today sorry if i said guilty Pled not guilty um i i think i was saying what people what most people want him to do um but i you know listen i'm sure a lot of the average retail investors who are duped into you know out of their hard-earned money 
with the Celsius platform. Maybe a little vindication, but honestly, it's not going to replace you know people's rent money, their grocery money, uh, the the average guy. Uh, it really stinks. So, um, also additionally, the FTC, which is one of the four uh, abbreviations that sued him this morning, um, did actually reach a settlement with Celsius, which is right now under uh, bankruptcy administration, Chapter Eleven. Uh, and it was to the tune of $4.7 billion that they settled for. Luckily for uh, creditors, that had a stay put on it by the courts and will not be chased until after the creditors are repaid. So, Alex, is this as simple as, I mean, is this a little bit of a Sam Bankman creed? I mean, the charges are somewhat similar. I mean, they're basically going after him for straight up fraud, right? I mean, decept- being deceptive to people, misrepresentations. Right, to luring people to put in money and yeah. not going to get what they expect. This is a basic fraud thing. It's got nothing to do with crypto. It's just straight out fraud. You know, it it, it is straight out fraud, and and I would say, and and maybe Mark has a, a different tune of this, but most most of these types of frauds, Ponzi schemes, etc., they they normally start out with good intentions, and it, it precipitates into fraud as time goes on, whether that's outside forces you know, greed and all that good stuff. You know, Celsius started out with good intentions. They were filling a gap in the uh, in the marketplace that was widely needed. Um, I personally know friends who, have, you know, lent their crypto to Celsius in order to take out mortgages or, you know, to buy houses and stuff like that, cars. Um, and I spoke with Alex Mashinsky at numerous conferences over the years. So, I, I think it started out with good intentions, and it ended with just complete and utter fraud in desperation. Hey, Mark, I want you to weigh in on on the question of th- this fraud and not being crypto. And by the way, Alex, you know, I was at um, I was at uh, on a he and I and Brittany Kaiser when I interviewed last year the deputy minister in Ukraine, and you know, again. Like he talked a lot off off air about, you know, his commitment to what he was doing. Right. So the question, did he know he was intentionally frauding people the whole time or did he slip his way? One more chimes in because I I am so I love the fact that Mark's going to participate heavily in in the crypto block. I really am because it's a specialty. I want to this is not just isolated to uh, to Celsius. There was immense peer pressure over the course of 2021 and into the first quarter of 2022 to generate high yield returns interest for retail crypto customers. And it was literally most people and most businesses to race to the bottom, race to zero as far as fees. This was a race to how high can we get? And whoever had the highest got the most new customers. And that's unfortunately what I believe was the downfall of everybody who, who pled bankruptcy last year. It was pure and utter greed to obtain new customers. Mark Opressi, you're, you're, wow, you're, wow. you're queued up for a comment on that. The crypto expert, as Alex said. Well, so, so you know, um, I don't know if that's my only uh, expertise. I'm pretty good uh, in the kitchen. Um, I, I'm, I'm a decent dancer. No, I'm kidding. Um, the reality of it is that um, I've said this before: the FOMO and and greed, uh, FOMO related, uh, greed related FOMO, have caused more losses in the crypto markets in the past several years, or the past even year and a half, than than any other factor. So you know the the customers 
instead of blindly following whoever is offering the best rate, you know, sometimes you have to say if something is too good to be true, it probably isn't. And this is certainly not in the defense of Mashinsky or Celsius or anyone else that got caught up in this. It's just a cautionary tale about greed. And, and you know, Alex, I, I don't know uh, uh, enough about the story of the origins of Celsius was to, is to say whether or not this was a good intentions turned bad, you know, the, the bad trade stuff in a drawer, the old Wall Street expression, right? You know, how some of these traders have gotten themselves into trouble and into crim trouble where, you know, that they, they hide a bad trade out of embarrassment or fear of losing their job. Uh, but it wasn't a, a criminal scheme to begin with, but it turns into one because of losses. I have no idea if that's what went on here. But certainly most of what I'm hearing and most of what I'm reading in the complaints associated with these cases, because I think the only multi-letter agency that did not file a complaint against him was AARP, uh, does seem to sound sort of in traditional securities fraud and fraud in general, making misrepresentations to people. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Maybe the AARP will get in on it. They might, they don't have a lot of members probably who are, we're, we're invested in it. Let's talk uh, before we before we wrap this up, and we will carry this conversation over into Beyond B3. But let's bring in the good news. Unfortunately, John, Dr. J is not with us, so I can't ask him if Gary Gensler is a poser. But since we know that we all believe he is, he, uh, look, this is big news. I mean, he has been, you know, he's got his all-out crypto war, and now you have a district court in New York saying XRP, which is Ripple's, you know, a, a, a Ripple token, is not necessarily a security. I mean, Alex, this is a big deal, and and, and Ripple CEO has insisted the whole time, like, we we were going to prevail. What's the what's the bottom? And and you know we're talking about how much the price is surging, even as we've been on this Twitter spaces. But what what is the ruling basically telling us? And is this actually putting it? Is Gary Gensler getting into the pushback coming? Is he going to start losing this battle? Well, Mark, you're going to fill in for you're 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 a lawyer anyway, so you can fill in on the legal side. Um, Sorry, you I know, lost my mic. And, and, and the same idea, you know. It's, it sounds like it sounds like we do have Alex and or now I'd like I'd like to hear the positive before I throw cold water. <laughs> exactly. Alex, so I don't know how much of the question you heard, but basically, what does this mean? What is the positive? And is this the beginning of the end of Gary Gensler's, you know, attempt to dethrone crypto? You know, well, let's just say this. It, it really actually we're going to get to the weeds of it. It's a three prong uh, part. Um, two of them were in favor of of Ripple Labs with their XRP product. Um, the first one was uh, program. Progr- I can't even talk. Sorry, it was had to do with the sales to uh, exchanges, uh, the trading and, re- and retail trading on exchanges. The second had to do with uh, co- employee compensation. Um, the one that. Uh, the bulls are looking over are the institutional sales, like the ones to VCs, the ones to hedge funds and stuff like that. But the part that made it the winner was the one that said it is not a security contract in the rule of being in a public float on a capital markets exchange. Uh, what what made it a security contract was the instances when they sold it to institutional investors such as hedge funds and other people with allotments. Um, so what does that mean? That means it's 
almost like Bitcoin and uh, a little untouchable at this point. And that's why you see prices uh, rising. you got to remember, XRP has been quiet. They missed out on the bull run of 2020 and 2021 uh, due to this lawsuit. Uh, they also have signed numerous partnership deals uh, as far as money, uh, you know, cross-border exchange of currency. Um, they, they've always been, they've always had a bright future all the way back since they, their inception in 2014. Um, Brett Garlinghouse has got to be drinking champagne on a yacht somewhere. If he's not, there's problems going on. Um, but it's a win. And the part that they lost on is behind them. It, it isn't actually going to happen again. It was a it was a one-time instance in when they were getting up and funding their business. Um, so, you know, I, I think it sets a precedence uh, across the cryptocurrency sphere. I think there's a lot of protocols and there's a lot of crap out there, man. Let's be honest. The majority of it's crap. But there's a lot of protocols out there that get to use this case and the different precedences within this case to uh, battle uh, you know, the SEC in the future. And as far as Gary Gensler is concerned, this is going to be a huge blow to him. He, the, uh, I'm going to say one last thing before we pass it to Mark. And that is, he missed Alex Mashinsky in Celsius. He missed FTX. He missed Three Arrows Capital. He missed all these other ones. Three AC, actually not in his purview. But he missed all these US bound ones. And the ones he, the one he didn't, he didn't, uh, that he catch was the XRP. So the fact that that case beat him and all the ones that were in front of his face and sometimes sitting in a chair across from him uh, a desk. Mark Lepresti, um, your take on, on that. And, you know, look, Alex makes a great point. I mean, if nothing else, he, and more and more people are seeing, I, my question is, does it actually stop him? He's clearly been wrong. I think he's going to be wrong with Coinbase too. Like he's, he targets these things. He misses the obvious things, fraud or not. He misses the, the bad actors, goes after the others. Does this actually have a long-term impact? Does actually weaken Gary Gensler, or does he just plot ahead and keep doing what he's doing? Like, is this well, Robert, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm out of time. It's been good to address everybody, uh, but I, uh, I no, I'm kidding. Um, Listen, um, let me let me say what I agree with and what I'm excited about before I give the other side of it. And I'm going to give the other side of it only so people understand the complexity of the story that we're we're not just giving sort of unadulterated, uh, you know, crypto cheerleading as much as it's in my nature to want to be a crypto cheerleader. Um, I'm not anti crypto by any stretch of the imagination. Um I, I think this is unusual for uh, a district court, a, a New York-based district court, to make a ruling like this, um, that that something is not a security and, and something with this level of complexity is, is by the way, uh, not necessarily a security. And it's very important that we um, reference that language from the court's, uh, the, the direct language from, from the court's order in this regard. Um, is it uh, important? Is it a win uh, for Ripple? Absolutely. Is it a win for crypto? Absolutely. Is it is it the catalyst of this unbelievable bull strapped to a rocket ship for XRP and, and lifting a lot of the rest of the of the cryptosphere? Um, absolutely. 
and I'm happy about it, and it's definitely a blow to Gary Gensler. Couple things. Uh, now, now, sort of for the cold water. Uh, one, um, the SEC may, and in my opinion, almost has to appeal this judgment. This was a, this is a judgment issued by a court order of a United States District Court judge sitting in the Southern District of New York. So not to suggest it's not a very it's not a uh, powerful court and a high court and an influential court being in the Southern District. But it is uh, subject in the rulings of, of district courts, not just here, but anywhere in, in the U.S., uh, may be appealed, by and large, to the, the Court of Appeals. Um, in this case, the Second Circuit of, here in the United States, which I actually had the honor of arguing in front of a few times when I was still practicing well. I think, for all of the reasons that Alex accurately pointed out, and everything that Gonzo Gary Gensler has done thus far this year— the SEC almost has to file an appeal of this order, because if not, if for no other reason than to save face, but even perhaps more than to save face, but because of the possibility of this becoming a very, very dangerous precedent across the board, uh, not only in other existing enforcement actions, but potential enforcement actions, and not just in the context of enforcement actions, if you don't think that folks laying out tokenomics and white papers for token issuances don't have their lawyers pouring through this to try to make sure that they follow uh, the, the scope and the context of this judge's order so they can claim cover uh, from, from this? Absolutely. And, and the SEC does not want that for a host of different reasons. The next thing I'll say in terms of the cold water on this, it was not an unequivocal uh, decision. The, the judge did not say XRP is not a security, period, end. There were lots of conditions and said not necessarily, meaning that there could be uh, conditions or could be further facts that develop in the litigation that could cause it to be determined a security. So for those, and I can go on, but I won't because I don't want to pour too much cold water in this. This is a big win for crypto, and I'm and I'm happy about it. But we, it's not it's not over, and the SEC could appeal, and I think this has limited uh, value as precedent for all the reasons I just mentioned. I would like to point out that it did. It, Mark is correct in uh, in the half pregnant case of a security or not a security, but I will say that the judge did mention that they did he did not find it uh, to meet the Howey test in regards to uh, exchange trading with the retail crowd uh, or compensation to employees. And that was important because that that will translate if it does get if it does get appealed to N1. And I don't see the SEC appealing this really they don't have a good record in winning appeals cases. Um, as a matter of fact, the record on initial cases is 90% of the time when they use their own in-house administrative law judges for securities violations. It's only 69% in federal court, and it's even half that on appeals win. So I would like to see them appeal this case because if they do, it's just like the more Cuban insider trading case. Uh, Ripple Labs has a lot of money. And they are one of the gorillas that can outspend the SEC. Um, but uh, listen, it's a, whether we agree or disagree 100% on it, it was a good day for the crypto market as a whole. 
Um, it was a good day for Ripple Labs, and it was a good day for those protocols that are trying to uh, advance technology and innovation uh, within the world through digital assets. Well, listen, this is a great combo. We are sliding our way into Beyond B3. Everybody, you've been listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Twitter Spaces, our Tuesday, Thursday, and then we do a weekend Sunday edition. Please follow Get Rev Radio. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.